welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. All right, well, we are in the book of Hosea today. If you don't know where that's at, feel free to use the table of contents at the front of your Bible. There's no shame in that at all. I have been praying about starting the book of Hosea for like a year and a half. I'm very excited about this. God kept going, no, no. And finally he said yes. So I'm really excited. I've been planning this for a long, long time. But as you're turning there, uh, we'll be in chapter one. When I was growing up, I was blessed or out of cursed, I don't know. I come from two families of outdoors people. Like everybody that I know loves to be outside doing things, whether that's hunting or just being in the woods or hiking or camping. Like that's been my entire life. And and when I was younger, my grandpa was a huge hunter. So he would take me and my cousin Shane and we would go off and get to go hunting with grandpa, which there's, there's nothing better than hunting with grandpa if you don't know that. And he had this old truck, this old green truck that he would take and it was our like our farm truck and our hunting truck. And we would take this truck and it would get us off into the furthest reaches of the woods. We had a really clever name for it. We called it Old Green. Uh, But we loved this truck and going with him. But there was one problem with this truck. This truck broke down a lot. That's because it was a Chevy. If he had bought a Dodge, we wouldn't have had that issue. So Chevy people, I'm sorry, but that is the truth of God's word this morning. But we, this truck would break down a lot. So we would be out in the middle of the woods and the truck would just stop running. It would just We're just in the middle of this trail out of nowhere. No cell phones at this time. And one particular time this truck broke down, my grandpa decided he was going to walk to my uncle's house about a mile away through the woods. He said, do you guys want to go with us or go with me or do y'all want to stay here? And at the time, I'm going to estimate I was about nine. My cousin might have been about 13 or so and so we were like we'll stay here and wait for you go get uncle jimmy bring him back fix the truck and then we'll drive out it seemed like a long way to walk at the time so grandpa left us there unattended mistake number one mistake number two he let the truck break down next to the biggest mud hole on the entire trail now i don't know who started this but i can guarantee you just knowing me that it was not my fault it was my cousin's fault by the time he got back we had had a wrestling match wwe style in the middle of that mud hole for about an hour and we were covered from head to toe we gave no concept of hey how are we going to get home because now we have to get in the truck and get it all dirty we were just covered in this filth and when we got home this story has become legendary when we got home i don't think we were allowed in the house we were so dirty we got hosed off outside now the reason i tell you that story is that reminds me a little bit of just all human nature some of you have had kids or grandkids and kids are going to find the mud hole they're going to find the dirty places that's that's where they're going to go to it's just part of who we are and spiritually we're the same physically we love dirt and mud spiritually we love to get dirty with no thought of the consequences and just like i needed to be hosed down when we finally got back to the house we need to be cleansed and cleaned of that dirtiness and that filth that we find in the world and that's the reason that we need a savior because we are so dirty that only god could clean us so we're going to start a story today that tells us not just about us being dirty but specifically how dirty god sees us And we're going to start a story that tells us about how hard God will work and how committed he is to cleaning us in the book of Hosea. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Hosea, of course, this is in the Old Testament. And just a background to help you understand the story. 
In the Old Testament, God had chosen a group of people, we call them the Israelites or the Jews. And he had chosen this group of people and they were called God's chosen people. And so he had this covenant relationship with them that said, I choose you, I will be your God, and you choose me, you serve me. And that was the agreement. That was the unbreakable covenant. But in the Old Testament, if you spend much time reading any of those books, what you will find is that the people continually walk away from God. God gives them all of this goodness and grace and love and they reject him and they walk away from him and, and they turn away. Now God has some options at this moment. God could just say, okay, I'm done with y'all. Y'all have done this 33 times now. That's enough. I'm done. But that's just not the nature of God. God's nature is not to give up on people because they have broken the rules too many times. As a matter of fact, I would argue the only thing God cannot do is that which he has promised that he would not do. Make sure that made sense. God, God can't do what he promises he won't do. That's, that's part of who he is. And so when he tells these people, you are mine, he's not going to go back on that. So in God's nature, what he does is he begins to store this uh, process of restoring his people back to him. And most often in the Old Testament, what he will do is he will raise up somebody called a prophet and send this prophet to them. This prophet comes and speaks with a message and with the authority of God and gives them a warning, calls them to repent, uh, repentance, and sometimes will pronounce a judgment upon the people. Because you have walked away from God, you will be judged in this way. You will suffer from this punishment. And the point of this is always to bring God's people back to him. And sometimes these prophets are recorded. I'm not going to say that every prophet was recorded, but many of them were. Hosea is one of these prophets. Hosea was born and put into the world at a time when Israel, God's people, had rejected him with all kinds of sin in their life. They'd found all of the dirtiness. They'd wallowed in all of the mud holes that they could find. And God got tired of it, and he sent Hosea with a message. That, uh, with a message of how dirty his people had gotten and a message of how much he still loved them. So if you've got your Bibles open, Hosea 1, we're going to read verse 1 here. This is going to give us some context for the story. Verse 1. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come right back to that to here, in a, here in a second. Now, the book starts giving us a setting for where we're at in history with this. And you'll notice it lays, lays out the lineage of two different sets of kings over two particular different kingdoms, those kingdoms being Israel and Judah. You may remember a few weeks ago when we were talking about our Christmas series that the people of Israel had undergone a civil war, and it was almost exactly like the American Civil War over different subjects. There was a northern kingdom, which is Israel, and a southern kingdom, which is Judah. Israel continually would reject God's design for what he wanted them to do. They would walk away from him again and again. And the southern kingdom, Judah, would most often stay faithful to God. Tells you a lot about the north and the south, doesn't it? <clears throat> anyway, I didn't say that. So, there is this, this civil war between these two in these two different kingdoms. They are all God's people. They are all Israelites. They are all Jews. But they have split themselves into two kingdoms under two different kings. Hosea, as well as the story and the, um, the, the warning, the words from God in this book, are meant to go to that northern kingdom, Israel, who has turned away from God. Now, let's read what God is going to have Hosea say to them. This is verse 2. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, 
Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath created, committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. Keep it open just a little longer. We're coming back to this. So this book starts off a little bit different than the books of the other prophets. Almost all of them start with a command from God, and that command almost always starts with something like, go tell the people, take this message to the people. But in the book of Hosea, God commands an action from him, an action instead of a message to start off his story. And that action is to take a wife. Hosea, go get married. Now, before we go any farther, we need to really spend some time talking about what marriage means and what this means in the context of what God is saying here. What what he is saying is he's not saying, go date somebody, go see if you can find somebody you like. He says, go find somebody you will make a lifelong commitment to and, and marry them, make that commitment. And if you've been married, you know there is a different set of standards once you say those I do's. Like when you're dating, it's okay for you to take Friday off and go out with friends. When you're married, you better be at home. When you're with somebody, when you're committed, there's a different set of expectations for somebody that you call husband or wife than there is for somebody that you call boyfriend or girlfriend. So there's the the concept of commitment for life, that once you get married, this is to last until I die. That's a really, hopefully a really long time. There's also the concept of in this marriage, I forsake all others. Like everybody else is off the table to me. There is exactly one woman in this world who belongs to me and the rest of them are not available at all. So I will, I will turn my back on everybody else, any other opportunity, and no matter what, I'm going to find a way to make this work. Now that's, that's not a bad command. Hey, Hosea, go get married. Marriage is a good thing and it should be a good thing. But listen, listen to what the next words are because the next words change the command the next words say go take a wife of whoredom if you look at other translations of this they they use different words to translate that some of the translations use the words harlotry some of them say uh, go take for yourself a wife of a promiscuous woman And, and let me just clarify for all of us here what God is commanding Hosea to do is go marry a prostitute Go find somebody who is actively engaged as a prostitute, and I want you to commit your entire life to them. And this tells us a lot about what God is trying to do in the story, the grace that he shows to people. You think of somebody in that particular, in that particular field. I don't, I don't even know how to say it. But most people don't grow up, put on their kindergarten card, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, I hope to grow up and sell my body for money. Most people that that find themselves in that, and we want to treat this story with a lot of grace, find themselves in that because there is a brokenness somewhere in their life. Either their parents couldn't take care of them. There are scars for that. Some of the women at this time would have been sold into prostitution by their parents to pay debts. But in all of that, when you talk about marrying somebody with that kind of a background and that kind of a past, it changes those standards of I do, doesn't it? Suddenly that, hey, commitment for life is like, wait, for life? Forever with this person with this kind of brokenness and these scars? I have to say no to others. It means Hosea is going to spend his life walking the streets of Israel and seeing women who could have been his spouse, and yet he has to say no to them for this person who has this background and <clears throat> has this background in this lifestyle. And then there's the big one, there's the there's the no matter what. Because in the back of all of our minds, what do we think? Well, what if? 
It's not exactly a, a good place to start marrying someone who sells their body for money. It's not a good place to start with a marriage, but this huge task, in this huge task, Hosea is obedient to do what God tells him. Let's continue reading here, verse 3. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliom, which conceived and bare him a son. Now, when you hear Gomer, does anybody else hear, surprise, surprise, surprise? Like, like it's, a, it's bad enough that her name is Gomer, much less what her job was, right? I still see Gomer Pyle, like, in female version. Anyway, but so he goes and takes this woman named Gomer, and he marries her. And we're going to learn more about her. And I want to treat this woman with, with the grace that God treats her with. But you think about this. If, if you are... If you are Hosea, you're walking into this marriage with this woman with a certain amount of expectations. Like, the expectations that are, okay, well, first off, we're going to be married. There's going to be a complete lifestyle change here for you, Gomer. Um, you're going to be my wife. You're not going to spend all night out doing whatever you've been doing. There's an expectation of commitment. Hey, from now on, you know, there's, there's one man for you. That's, that's me. That's all. That's ever all that you're going to have. It's me. And I'll be honest with you, I'll project myself into this story because Hosea was a human and we can expect him to have all of the same thoughts and processes that you and I would have had. I would enter that relationship going, you better be thankful. You better be thankful I came to you and I chose you out of the life that you were in and rescued you from that. Whether Hosea thought that or not, I don't know, but I expect that he probably did. And what we're going to see in this story is not a single one of those expectations were ever met from, Hosea, uh, from Gomer to Hosea. She will betray him. She will lie to him. She will cheat on him. And she will leave him. So I guess the question of this whole story as we dive into this and we see where God starts off is, is why? What possible purpose could God have for taking a godly man and telling him to in, um, interject himself into a lifestyle that will come from marrying somebody like Gomer? As a matter of fact, that is the exact opposite of what I would expect God to command us to do. I would be shocked if God came to me at, when I was single and go, hey, Brian, uh, forget chasing godly women. I want you to go find a prostitute and marry her. I would have been shocked at that. So why? Why is God doing this? The reason is, is instead of sending a verbal message to his people, God is sending them a picture of what it looks like to be God and love people who betray him and go into the dirt and the filth of sin over and over in their lives. And he uses Hosea and Gomer's message as a picture of that to show us what it is like. God said in verse 2, why are you doing this? It's because the land, which is Israel, has committed whoredom. Marry a prostitute because my people are acting like prostitutes. And so God gives him this command, Hosea, go and live a picture of what it's like to be me. Marry a prostitute and represent them bonding to me. And what this story tells us is this tells us a lot about God's view of Israel's sin. When he compares Israel and the sin that they're in, when he compares it to prostitution, it tells you how God feels when people sin. And because we can understand how God felt about the sin of Israel, we can, we can get a good look at ourselves and we can understand how God feels about our sin. If you've got your outline, here's, here's the take-home truths that we want today. The first one up there at the top is God compares his covenant relationship to his people with a marriage. And you can find this in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the story of, of Hosea here, obviously Hosea is going to represent God, a loving husband that is choosing to rescue and take care of someone who is undeserving of him. 
And Gomer is representing someone who has blown their life up, who has been unlovable, yet is still loved by Hosea. You see the same thing in the New Testament, that marriage is a picture of God's relationship with his church. In the New Testament, again and again and again, God relates himself to a groom, and he relates you and me as God's people, as the church, to the bride. The whole Bible relates our relationship, our covenant relationship with God to marriage. And that is by design, because marriage was not designed to make us happy. Marriage was designed to reflect the goodness of God's love to this world. To show, somebody laughed at that. I won't point fingers, but I saw you laughing at, at that. You, you've sinned. You've got me off my notes. <laughs> no, so marriage is meant to design, is designed to reflect God's love to us. And marriage as designed is supposed to be a good thing. It's not always a good thing. But it's a covenant, which means it's a no matter what contract. It's a commitment to mutually care and love and serve each other, going both ways. And within marriage, there is a closeness and a bond created that exists in no other relationship. And we have this unfortunate belief that, that for some reason, marriage is just something that we get to experience. Marriage is something we get to show to the world because it reflects how good our God is and how he loves us and what it looks like for God to commit himself to us. But in the story of Hosea, Hosea has one of those, he has one of those bad marriages. Not, not the kind of marriage that you think would reflect what God, God's love or the kind of marriage that would reflect God in the church. Hosea has a marriage in which he suffers, in which he hurts, in which in his commitment he is rejected again and again. So number two there is God compares his relationship to us with an unfaithful spouse. What's it look like when marriage goes bad? I think most of us understand that there is an expectation of what marriage should be. Nobody has ever walked into their wedding day with the beautiful white dress on and the tuxedo or the suit or whatever and said, I can't wait for this to be horrible. There's always this expectation of love and what love is going to look like. We're going to be together forever. This person is perfect. And in Hosea and Gomer's uh, story, you can take that and contrast it with what we would expect to be true of marriage. People loving and caring for each other versus a spouse who runs away, who cheats, who lies, and who rebels against their spouse. So there's two pictures that we see in this as God compares himself to marriage. Picture number one is we see the love of God in this. We, we see how much God loves us, that, that he would compare us to an unfaithful spouse, to somebody who cheats and betrays him, and he still loves us. And secondly, we see a picture of what our sin looks like to God picture of, of how God feels when we sin. You know, in this story, it deals with a lot of hard topics. It deals with prostitution. It deals with cheating. It deals with slavery. It deals with so many different things. And, and a lot of these are hard to talk about, and they're hard for us to address, including, including cheating, because some people here have experienced that. Some people here may have been guilty of that. I don't know. But it's, it's the pinnacle of betrayal when you commit your life to someone and they turn their back on you and say, no, I, I, choose, I choose somebody else over you. And, and it's wrong because of the broken promises, which means broken trust, because it causes somebody that you're supposed to love emotions of hurt and anger. But here's what I think is the worst thing about being cheated on, is that somebody that you care about, that you're committed to, looks at you and says, I could have had you, but I chose that over you. 
I want that more than I want you. And if we can take ourselves and put ourselves in that situation or we can think about maybe our children going through that or a friend going through that, I think we can understand how bad we would hurt for them because everybody in this room goes, knows that's not the way that love is supposed to work and that's not the way that marriage is supposed to work to see somebody who should have been loved be betrayed. But this is, this is a picture of us and God. When we continually betray him and walk away from him and hurt him, we should be able to look at this and go, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to love and adore God because he loves and adore us, not turn our back on him. And the point of Hosea in this story is God wants to point out to Israel, he goes, you're just like Gomer. The way, that, the way that you sin, the way that you rebel against me is just like a spouse who cheats, who chooses something else over you. When we look at that story, I want us to look at our sin and I want us to have that definition of sin in our life. There are many definitions of sin that you hear in a church, different ways that we put it, and they're all relatively correct. Um, I've heard sin defined as missing the mark, as an archery term. It's, it's how far you are from hitting a perfect shot. You aim for perfection and you miss it. And by however much you miss it, that's what sin would be in our life. I've heard people say that sin is anything outside of the perfect nature of God. Absolutely true. But when God defines sin in the Bible, he defines it as adultery, cheating, and the word that we see here used is boredom. So when we look at our sin, what I, what I hope that we see when we look in the mirror, I hope we don't just write off our sin and say, everybody does that. Everybody sins. Oh, I made a few mistakes. I hope that we, we see how truly dirty we are and how, many, how those mistakes are more than just mistakes, the rejections of a holy God. And I know what you're thinking because I know what I'd be thinking if I was there. Well, Brian, that, that doesn't apply to me. Like, I've made a few mistakes in my life. I've, I've done a few bad things, but it's really not that bad. That's the word we like to say when we think about our sin. Well, I didn't murder anybody. I mean, you know, yelling at somebody I'm supposed to care for, that's not that bad. Or, or, or rejecting God or, or fighting with God over something calls us. It's not that bad. I'm not selling drugs outside on the corner. I didn't murder anybody. I haven't robbed Walmart. I guess the question we have to ask to ourselves about sin is by whose standard are you saying that's not that bad? Because the truth is, is you and I, we are not qualified. We are not qualified to say what is that bad and what is not that bad. And if you look at the very first sin with Adam and Eve, what did Satan tempt them with? He said, if you eat of the fruit, you will be like God's knowing good from evil. You know what he tempted them with? He said, you get to choose what's right and wrong. And the second that we start taking ourselves and applying to ourselves what sin is good and what sin is bad and which one's not as bad as the other, we have sinned in just thinking that. See, there is an absolute standard of right and wrong, and I don't get to pick it, which is a huge comfort to me because I get to stand up here and, or have to stand up here and talk about it. I don't have to tell you what I think is right and wrong. God has already put that absolute standard out there for us. And he is the one that is qualified and worthy to choose that. So, so as we look at Israel and we look at the story, it seems like they made God kind of mad, right? Like they, they go out, they're doing things and God's like, you know what? I'm gonna show them how bad they are. Give me a holy man and go marry a prostitute just so they know how bad you're being. Just, just so people can see a picture of what they're doing to me. God was upset. What, what did the people do that made God this upset? What sin were they involved in that, that hurt God this much? You can flip over probably one page in Hosea if you've still got your Bible open to chapter four. 
and in chapter 4 begins to define and for several chapters defines the sins of Israel but we're just going to look at the introduction to those sins in verses 1 and 2 so here are the sins that God is upset with with his people hear the word of the Lord ye children of Israel for the Lord hath a controversy that means God's coming to us and saying I got a problem with you the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land that's Israel because there is no truth nor mercy nor knowledge of God in the land keep your Bibles open we're gonna come back for one more verse here in just a second so God defines what is the problem why are his people turning away from him? He, uh, he defines that in three things these people have no truth they have no mercy and they have no knowledge of God and if you think about the aspects of what truth, mercy, and knowing God are, those, those are parts of the, the heart of God. Truth and mercy and relationship, knowledge of God in them. And so when we reject these things that are part of God's heart, we reject God. When we reject truth, truth is the undeniable fact that God has absolute authority over right and wrong. And we reject that continually when we come to ourselves and we say that not-so-bad phrase. When we say, I, I refuse to admit that what God says is right is right, and I refuse to admit what God says is wrong is wrong. When we neglect this, we make ourselves the absolute authority, or we think we do. Like, like we, talk about, we talk about different sins. and Well, being drunk every once in a while, it's not so bad. It, it's a little sin. It goes away after a while. But by whose authority do you say that it's a little sin? When God says things, he means them. When God says that sexuality is to be expressed within a marriage, he means it. When God says that sexuality is to be expressed between a man and a woman, he means it. When, when God says that anger and wrath and mistreatment of people are wrong no matter what they've done, he means it. And when we reject the truth that he has the absolute authority to say what he wants to say, it opens us up for this world of sin in our life. The second thing that God pulls out here in the dirtiness that he finds in his people is that they have no mercy. This means that they have no compassion for others. It means that we neglect to see God the way that we neglect to see people the way that God sees them. The Bible defines you and me and everybody you will meet, every single person, even Gomer in this story, as made in the perfect and holy image of God. Every single person has value. It doesn't matter how much you dislike them. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter what they've done to you. People have value. And for that reason, if we can see the value of people, we should have undeserved compassion on them. But because we neglect having God's heart with mercy, we neglect this aspect of God in our lives. The last one is, is knowledge. And knowledge, I think the way that this is phrased, it just simply means relationship. There's a difference in knowing about God and knowing who God is. We all have, we have, we all have friends. I hope you have friends. <laughs> if not, you need to adjust your lifestyle. I hope you have friends. We all have a friend somewhere, right? But we have friends and then we have my friends. And there's a difference in the person who I've been friends with since high school and I see them once a year in Walmart and I wave at them and say hi and ask them how the kids are doing. And my close friends who I talk to daily or weekly, I know them differently. I know how they feel. I know how they think. I know what makes them tick. And what God wants from us is not to just know that God exists, but to know him in a relational fashion, to know him intimately, to know what he thinks and what his heart is and how he views situations. And God said, in Israel, the sin that I find, the dirtiness I find, comes from the fact that they have no truth, no mercy, and no knowledge of me. 
our next take-home truth on your paper is sin begins with rejecting God's absolute authority, neglecting his heart, and not knowing him. In chapter 4, verse 2, we're about to read this. It tells us the results of not having those three things. Verse 2 here says, By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. So God defines what it looks like when these things are not in our life. It's swearing, lying, killing, stealing, and adultery. And listen, if you have any of those things in your life, what that tells me is you are missing mercy, knowledge of God, or truth in your life. That's where the sin begins. And you look at these things, and in this concept of a marriage that God is kind of putting here, putting out here of a covenant and a commitment, could you love somebody like that? That that's their, that's their key parts of their personality? But some of you, it's been a while since you've dated. There's, there's a new thing in dating. It's, it's online dating, and I'm not going to lie to y'all. I tried it before I met Jessica. I was desperate. I was like, come on, I can't be this ugly. Somebody's got to want me. And here's how online dating works. is You take three or four pictures of yourself, and you put them on this website. And then you put different interests, and you kind of describe yourself in this, this they call it the bio. And then people can look at this website, and they can look at a picture of you and go, no, he's ugly. I don't want to talk to him more. Hey, he's good looking. I'll read some more about him. And, and people meet each other dating this way being matched by their interests. And so there's that little place where you get to write whatever you want to about yourself. That little bio at the bottom of the page. And so you write all the things that make you sound good. Like like you write on there, um, I love the Lord with all my heart. What that means is I went to church yesterday and I hope that that's good enough for you. You you might write on there, my my hobbies include lifting weights, which means my hobbies five years ago included lifting weights, right? You you write that you uh, love going out with people, which really means I hate going out with people, but if I have to go out with you and your friends to date you, I will do that. That's what all those things mean. And so there's this bio that you, in this dating relationship you look at is go, is this somebody that I could possibly fall in love with? Is this somebody that I could possibly one day have a lifelong commitment to? Now imagine you were cruising, don't cruise those websites if you're married. Imagine you were on one of those and you come across a picture of somebody and their bio said, what are your hobbies? (laughs) Swearing, lying, killing, stealing, adultery. You want to go on a date with me? (laughs) No, I don't. Who could love somebody like that, that that's what it says about them? Who could possibly say, that's who I want to commit to? God does. When he looks at us, that's a picture of our lives before him. And he still says, I love them. I will choose to love them. All of those things are defined in in one word there in your Bible. It says, in verse 2, it says adultery, and then it says they break out. Now, that was a weird word to me. What does that mean, they break out? That's some kind of big sin, breaking out. I don't know what that means. So I I did a little digging on that. And what what that word means is, is people live life without restraint. People live life with no sense of barriers. They don't like to be coupled to anything. They don't like to be held back. So our next take-home truth in here is sin is living life without restraint and ignoring the barriers God has placed on us. About this time last year, Oakley was, uh, she was getting to the point of walking and crawling and pulling up and all that stuff. And so Jessica had found, I called them the cattle gates. I don't know what they were, but it was this huge loaded fence thing that you could like surround your living room and it would keep her in one place. And so we had like a part of the living room cut off and we had the entrance to the dining room cut off and she had free reign in there. She'd go anywhere, all of her toys were there, her parents were there, everything she needed was in that room. But it didn't take her very long after she learned to walk before she realized that she could go over there 
together and pull on one side of that thing and she could slip that leg over and she could get out and y'all it was the funniest thing she would struggle through that thing and as soon as she got out of that gate she was gone that little toddler walk you know like running down the hallway she didn't like barriers she didn't like restraint she wanted to break out she earned herself the nickname jailbreak during that time come on jailbreak back to the gulag here we go that is a picture of you and I God puts these barriers in our life and we spend our whole time like like trying to get through these barriers, through these things he said, don't go through. But here's what I've learned about God by being a parent. And I don't know that I've learned a lot, but I've learned this. I've learned when you love someone, you put barriers on them for their own safety. Because what those fences blocked was not, I don't want you in the other room. Those fences blocked where the fireplace was that was hot to the touch that could have burned her if she went over and touched it or fell into it. Those barrier barriers blocked the way to the kitchen where there were chemicals under the counter that she did not need to chew on and she chewed on everything. And so when God puts barriers in our life, we tend to want to live life. The dirty part of us wants to break out of these barriers. And what's so sad about that is those barriers are put in place. Those sin barriers, those things that God says not to do are put in place for our protection because he loves us. And at some point in our life, and maybe even today in our life, breaking out living life without restraint that's me and and that's you and that's us because that's our sin nature and how we live our lives God says when you live with no rules no outside forces when you break out when there are no barriers that you allow anybody to place on your life he compares this in the story of Hosea and Gomer to whoredom and I know like I read this story and I'm, I'm just as guilty as anybody I go this doesn't apply to me. Like all of this prostitute talk, like I've made some mistakes, I've done this, and, and you may be sitting here thinking that, and you're sure, I've cussed a little. Yeah, I live my life my way. I don't like a lot of barriers on me. I've done this or that, list these sins, but I'm a pretty good guy, pretty good girl. Like there's a lot of people out there that's a lot worse than me. Is, is, the, is the comparison to a prostitute really necessary? Do, do I really betray and cheat on God like an unfaithful spouse? And here's what I would argue. I would argue the way that you and I live our lives when we live with no barriers, when we break out, is, is not any different than what a prostitute does. Without getting graphic, think about this. What's, what's the job of a prostitute? She takes herself, she takes her body, she takes her inner essence, the most valuable thing that God has given, and she sells it for a little bit of money in her purse. And for a little while, she lives with the comfort of knowing that there's, there's money in the purse for just a little while, but then she spends it or blows it or loses it, and then it's gone. And the process repeats. Sell myself again. And what do we do in life? We sell our souls for some cheap entertainment to fill some hole or void within us. And for a little while, we feel comfort, comfort we feel entertained, we feel happy. But we wake up the next morning and, and I don't feel any of those things anymore. So what do I do? I do it again and again, selling my soul to fill myself up just a little bit. And the whole time, God watches heartbroken that he loves us this much and we continue to reject him in that way. And you can say whatever you want. I hear people say all the time, God doesn't control them. But I love what this story says about God is he loves us anyway. That's amazing. It's amazing that we could be this dirty, that we could play around in those mud holes and God still looks at us and goes, I'll die for you. I mean, think of the story with Hosea 
and, and what it took and, and this concept of what it took for him to be obedient to God. Hosea shows up at the family reunion. Hey guys, meet my fiance, Gomer. Surprise, surprise. No, but right here's Gomer. Here she is. And, and his brother pulls him aside like, look I, don't, look, I don't go over there often, but I walked through that part of town and I don't know if you know this, but that, that girl was a prostitute. That, that's, that's her living. You don't want to marry her. And what does Hosea have to say back? I know. I choose to love her anyway. No, but Hosea, you don't understand. This lady is going to cheat on you. You will live your life heartbroken. I know. But I choose to love her anyway. Hosea, don't do this. She will betray you. She will leave you alone. She will go back to her life. She will be in a bed with another man while you cry yourself to sleep. Hosea says, I know, but I choose to love her anyway. And this is meant to be a picture of God's love for us. Can you imagine God up in heaven? I don't think the angels argue with, heaven, with God, but let's just say God's looking down at you. He's looking down at me. Actually, let's scratch that. This actually happened with Jesus. Jesus and the disciples. Somebody would come up and the disciples would be like, no, 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 no. That's a thief and a liar. He's a tax collector. You know what Jesus said? choose to love him anyway you could go down this list forever uh, Brian you can love him but he won't change he's going to betray you and he's going to sin against you again and again and again you know what Jesus said about me is I know but I choose to love him anyway you can tell Jesus Christ you'll be heartbroken for the rest of eternity because that person will betray you Jesus will say I know but I choose to love them anyway. Our last take-home truth is this, is though we reject him, betray him, and leave him, God loves and pursues us. And this love led him not just to have us, but to lead him to the cross, where he decided to give his life so that he could have us, knowing that we would run away from him, knowing that we would cheat on him, knowing that we would commit spiritual adultery. And he went to the cross, not just so he could buy us the first time, but so that he could pay for our sins every time we betrayed him. That's why we come here and that's why we worship. That's why he is worthy of our praise. Because that is a story that shouldn't make sense to anybody. And today you may be sitting here and I hope, I hope what we've done and what this has done for me this week is I hope that makes you look in the mirror a little bit and say, what dirtiness do I have in my life? And I want you to know it's okay because he's willing to clean it. The Bible says this, is anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's all it takes, no matter how dirty we are. Jesus, clean me. Maybe today is that day for you. If not, maybe you should just take some time to, to pray and thank God and worship him for the fact that he loves us, even though we keep getting back into that mud hole and we keep getting dirty. Please stand.